0: Thank you for joining me in prayer this morning. I'm very thankful that, that uh, we're able to do so. I'd encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Remember on Sunday evening, uh, last Sunday, I began this little uh, mini-series, Thinking Through the Events of, or the, the, the Teachings of Proverbs 3. Um, as it relates to various commands that are given. Remember in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, uh, the Bible says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. And so we see this, this exhortation um, to keep the commandments of, um, of the Father here. Uh, an exhortation unto keeping these commandments of Wisdom, And then we talked on Sunday night about this first one in, in verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. And we talked about the, the importance of this concept of mercy and truth. What Ephesians calls um, the truth in love. And how it is important for us both to hold to the elements of truth. And do it in a manner that is um, reflective of love, in, in much the same way God deals with us, uh, in, in well, quite quite literally the exact same way. That we are to be following Christ and to follow Him in this regard, and so we don't let mercy or truth forsake us, but rather we cling to them, we bind them about our neck, we take them with us everywhere we go, and in doing so, we will find a measure of good understanding and favor both with God. And with man, this is all things being equal, right? We, we talked about the fact that this does not mean that man will inherently like Christians uh, because we have a message that uh, grates at the very sensibilities of mankind, of their desire to live in darkness and such. But rather that all things being equal, these are the principles by which um, m- both man and God relate in a manner that is favorable. We continue this week then in verses 5 and 6 and these are very very familiar verses uh, ones that many of uh, us uh, many of our children many of our adults have memorized and rightfully so songs have been written about it in verses 5 and 6 the Bible says this trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths these are very common verses because we all need this, don't we? We all need our paths to be directed. We all need a a, a a insight into where we are, how we are supposed to go. And the question is, who do we trust? We are in a very unique time, are we not? Here I am uh, in my office at home preaching this sermon over the internet. I'm not in the pulpit. Uh, I am not. You you are not in 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 the seats of the church. Uh, we. Uh, did not come together and and do our our normal routine and we have not done so now um, for a month and we are we are doing all of this based upon uh, information and then a request. The information is about the the nature of uh, the danger that is around us and then the request by our uh, civil authorities has been that because of that uh, danger given by that information that we are uh, called to act or asked to act in a certain way particularly as the term is now coined to social distance and yet it all comes down to trust doesn't it it's all about how much do I trust the people who are giving me this information and as it turns out as information has continued it seems as though uh, not necessarily that our trust was unfounded but it does seem very much so that the information was bad and so we are finding as we continue that, that things are less dangerous than people said that they were going to be and things are not quite what they were supposed to be and we are all perhaps questioning at this point um, should we have trusted these experts to begin with and how much can we trust them in any number of factors and this is not a new thing right whether we're talking about uh, the field of science or pseudoscience. Um, whether we're talking about education and the methods of education or whatever it might be, um, we are very... Uh, it is it is uh, become quite routine for us to, to be frustrated with the question of who can I trust? How can I decide? What, how I'm going to raise my children? How can I decide uh, wh- what I am and I am not going to do as it relates to um, uh my my body uh, who, who's uh, my, my my diet um so for 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 any number of years uh, it, it has been said that you don't feed a child under two peanuts and then studies come out in the last couple of years saying no you need to feed your child under two peanuts to get them uh, acclimated and so we have all of these these studies and these studies tell us things and then there are studies that refute the studies and, and we me as a parent say wow who am i supposed to trust how am i supposed to do this what what am I supposed to do in order to keep my children safe when the experts say this thing and then, and then they come out and say, well, actually the experts say the opposite now and then uh, and a few years later the experts will probably say the opposite again. And yet as we consider this concept, what we rely upon, what we, what we fall back on is this understanding and this realization that God knows all. That God does not change. And that as it relates to the deeper, more essential things of life, the call is this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. To trust someone is to place your confidence in them. To trust your leaders is to place your confidence in your leaders. To trust your pastors is to place your confidence in your pastor. To trust your parents is to place your confidence in your parents. If I ask my children, just trust me, but dad, why do we have to do this? Just trust me, what I'm asking them to do is to place their confidence in the fact that I know things they don't, that I have perspective they don't, maybe that I'm stronger than they are, and for them to simply trust me. Trust is an exercise in intentionality. There are times where you don't have a choice. You say, well, I don't know who to trust, but I don't really have a choice. so I guess I'm gonna trust you because there's no other option and yet there is always a choice right I don't have to trust anyone I can always do the opposite now it may come with very severe consequences to the point where I say well I have no choice but to trust but that's not really true I can still say no and and suffer the consequences whatever that may be so uh, trust is a call unto an intentionality And as we look at Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, what we see here is that as it relates to God and His Word, the call to trust is a call unto... uh, that, that, that is expected to be implicit. In other words, that because God said it, I am going to believe it. And you have perhaps experienced some of this in your own life, where someone has, through time and circumstance, built up such a track record of doing right, of having the right, of making right decisions, of having the right mindset, that when a person, that person, says something, you implicitly trust them. You are implicitly going to get on their side because you have seen them be so consistent, faithful, or knowledgeable on a certain topic. Well, if you know you know that thing so well, if you say that this is the case, I'm just going to trust you. I'm not even going to question that because you've been right so many times before, that's the idea that we are called to have with God and specifically with the means by which God has communicated unto us, which is His Word. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And the contrast to trust in the Lord with all thine heart is with our own understanding. This is a contrast. Trust in the Lord as opposed to don't lean upon, don't lean unto thine own understanding. And this is the other side of the coin uh, that, that we have at any given time. That on one side you have the Lord and on the other side you have what I understand. Now that doesn't mean that everything that I understand is always going to be contrary to the Lord. God has given us minds. He's given us senses and he's given us these things to serve us for us to use but they're only good in their proper context if i were to go outside and i were to get a shovel to go dig a hole that would be great because a shovel is meant for digging a hole to use that shovel to dig a hole is to use that shovel within its proper context and within its proper context, it is very functional and very helpful. If I needed to wedge something out of the ground, if I needed to get a, a root ball up, or if I needed to uh, even um, you know wet wedge something up, well, a shovel is a long stick, can be used as a lever, can give me uh, um, what I need in order to, to get something up. It's functional as a lever. It's not its intended purpose, but it's, it's fairly functional as a lever. It's meant to dig that's what it's best at as a lever it's functional because it's a long stick and that's what you need in order to have a lever but if I if I needed to to jack up my car or or if I needed to fix something on my car a shovel's not going to work anymore. I, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a, a, a socket set I'm gonna maybe need some air tools I'm gonna need a jack but but a shovel is not going to be useful to me anymore because it's outside of its context. a shovel, cannot be used to fix the car. It can be used as a lever. It can be used to dig a hole. Dig a hole is what it's designed for. A lever is functional. It's not gonna be able to fix. help me fix my car. In the same way, you have a mind. You have reason. You have senses. You have feelings. All of these things are God-given. All of these things are given to you for a reason. All of them have a, a very functional, necessary purpose But they have limitations. And what we tend to do as humans is we tend to take our reason and our senses and our minds and we tend to extend them beyond God's design, beyond their proper context. And we start to lean on our own understanding in places where our understanding would conflict or contradict with God's word. And so we need to have wisdom to understand the limits of our physical senses and our physical understanding and then to discern when it is our physical understanding is no longer helping but is becoming a hindrance to what God would have for us to do. And as I think on these things, there's any number. Of Biblical accounts that we could go to to understand this. I mean really the entire Old Testament every every patriarch every uh, Divinely inspired scripture as it relates to uh, showing some man of faith uh, Reflects this beautifully right uh, we we can go to Abraham. We can go to Isaac. We can go to Jacob We can go to Joshua we can go to uh, um, several of the judges And yet, where I'd like to go is uh, to a very familiar account. One of the most familiar, well-known accounts in the entire Bible in 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath. Recall that David, as a young man, had been anointed by Samuel to be the king in Israel. And yet, at that time, Saul was king. He was the Lord's anointed as well. And the Bible tells us that um, there was a war between the Philistines and Israel and within the scope of this war um, there was a stalemate. Israel was on one side of a valley, the Philistines were on the other side of the valley and every day there would be the Philistines champion who would step up into the valley. His name was Goliath. He was a son of Anak. He was a giant and the Bible tells us that he would call out to Israel and challenge them and say instead of us having to continue to fight this battle fight this war you take your champion and and pit him against me and whoever wins that one-on-one battle the armies will regard that victory as the battle and if you win then we'll serve you if, if we win then you will serve us. So David's older brothers go off and they are, they are there at the encampment of Israel to fight this war. And the Bible tells us David was not there. He was at home. He was tending to his father's flocks. But that his father had sent him on a certain day um, to take provisions to his brothers. It would not be uncommon, especially among smaller nations or, or less uh, wealthy nations. Uh, for the men of arms to be required to provide their own provisions, required to provide their own armor, provide their own weapons, and even provide their own food. It's a far cry from what we think today, where a person joins the army and everything is given to them. Um, That's not been the case, and most certainly in every um, nation among history. With the more wealthy ones, that's the case, because they want all of their people to be well-equipped. But especially among the poorer nations, the more uh, needy nations that would not be the case much to the contrary um, they would be required to provide their own things and so David the Bible says in verse 20 of First Samuel 17 so, and David arose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren and as he talked with them behold there came up the champion the Philistine of Gath Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words and David heard them and that would be the words of challenge uh, that, that I had spoken of earlier and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid and the men of Israel said have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Meaning he, his land was uh, free, no taxes and such. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away? the reproach from Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Immediately we see David coming. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Caleb, and we talked about how God described Caleb as having a different heart? And the difference of that heart was that Caleb was so determined to trust the Lord and to step out. That that none of the the giants of the land didn't matter the the the, the elements of um, of that that stood between him and the 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 call of the Lord did not matter and they did not matter because Caleb had an understanding that God had given it to them. And we see a very similar instance here with David, where David immediately he's confused. He says, "This guy is defying the armies of the living God. This this." Man is standing against God's people and and this land, and God has promised to give us victory. So what what is this guy doing, and and why isn't anyone stepping up to, to fight him? He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, recognizing that he does not rest under the promises of God like Israel does. He doesn't rest under the promises of God. We do rest under the promises of God. We're in God's covenant, and they are not in God's covenant. What's the problem here? What's going on, and why hasn't this been dealt with, basically? Verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He came down at his father's behest. He came down in good faith, but that's not the point. See, Eliab was not happy. He was not happy because David is sitting there saying, look, there's, there's nothing wrong here. Why don't we just go take care of this? And Eliab says, my brother just doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that Goliath is big and strong he doesn't understand that this is insurmountable. He doesn't understand the stakes. He doesn't understand the problems. But and, and the reason why Eliab felt this way was because he wasn't seeing things the way David saw them. His he was seeing with his senses. He saw with his eyes. he, he his emotions, the fear that crept into his heart at Goliath, the the all of the scenarios that played out in his head, and all of the the ways that this could go really bad and, and, and any number of these things played out, but but what he didn't see, and this is what he resented in David, was th- this trust where David says, Look, if God said it, I believe it. If this man defies the armies of the living God, and we're the under that covenant of circumcision, whereby God promised that ten of you will chase a thousand and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. One will chase a hundred and ten, ten thousand. Whatever the promise was, substantial. And so David, see, he's got the same eyes. He can see Goliath. He's got the same emotions. He still feels. And yet there was something that was bigger than his fear. There was something that was bigger than his fear perception of that man's height and strength and capacity and that was God's promises. David had his own understanding and Eliab had his own understanding and as far as their own understanding goes, their own senses go, they were probably on the same page. This guy's big, this guy's well-trained, this guy is well-armed. But then, see, David had something else that, that Eliab was failing to exercise at this moment. And that was something that overrode his own understanding, and that was his trust in the Lord. That he recognized things that were bigger than just what he felt, bigger than just what he saw. And that was what God had said. Verse 30, And he turned from him toward another, and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again, after the former manner, So he's going around asking everybody this thing and what's going on here? Why aren't we dealing with this? And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. That would be Saul sent for David. And David said unto Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, And there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go and the Lord be with thee. So David here has a perspective. And he says, and number one, he, he, he acknowledges that he's he's not completely unskilled. I mean, the guy has killed a lion and he's, de- he's killed a bear. But, but notice how he credits it. He's, he's not saying, I am excessively capable. He, he simply has a different way that he's looking at things. The Lord delivered me from the lion. The Lord delivered me from the bear. And if the Lord can deliver me from a lion and the Lord can deliver me from a bear in order that I might be able to do the duty that my Father has asked of me, how is this guy any different? See, the height doesn't matter. The fact that this man is armed doesn't matter. The fact that, that this man is well-trained doesn't matter. See, because if God is with me, who can be against me? If God's word is true, then I can trust it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding." So Saul tries to give him his armor David rejects it. Instead David grabs five smooth stones because there were five sons of Anak. We, We know the account. And he goes and he stands in the valley. Bible says in verse 41, And Philistine came on, and drew near unto David. And the man that bare his, the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about, and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, and ruddy, and fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto him, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So, of course, Goliath is seeing with his own understanding, right? He sees only with his own understanding. He sees only what his senses can provide unto him. And what his senses provide unto him is this realization that this is a young man. Not like the flannel graphs would show it where he's like 12 years old, but he is a young man. He is not a man uh, who has been bred for war. And he's standing before him and there is no contest here, functionally speaking. David has no sword, he has no shield, he has no armor of sorts. He had had not proved those things, they were not for him. So he curses David by his gods, that would be by the Philistine gods. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Notice David's response. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowl of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice the perspective. David says, you've got a sword, you've got a spear, you've got a shield. Okay. But I have the Lord. God has promised. He has made promises to me. He has made promises to my people. Those promises are of of higher weight than anything that you could present to me. And nothing that you can do can override God, God's promises, God's will, and God's capacity. And of course, we know the story David with his sling hits uh, Goliath between the eyes. Goliath is killed instantly. He falls down dead and there's a great victory this day. But do do you see what what's happening here? Do you see how David is thinking and how he is functioning? Do you see how he sees things differently? How there are these physical senses and he's not devoid of them, but they don't rule him. His emotions don't rule him. His feelings don't rule him. His, his physical senses, his eyes and his nose and his mouth, they don't rule him. His, feel, uh, his, his, his uh, t- tactile function does not rule him these things are not disregarded but there is a higher authority by which and through which David operated here trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding the second verse verse 6 In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths acknowledge the Lord in all thy ways acknowledge the Lord along each of your decisions acknowledge the Lord in all of your perceptions, and as you do so, He will direct your path. Now, this is not something mystical. This is not something complicated here. God's Word has things to say, does it not? God's Word has things to say about anger. God's Word has things to say about forgiveness. God's Word has things to say about money. God's Word has things to say about the assembly of the believers. God's Word has things to say about kindness and love. God's Word has things to say about generosity. God's Word has things to say about work ethic and integrity. God's Word has things to say about truth and error. God's Word has things to say about lying. God's Word has things to say about stealing. God's Word has things to say about about lust. God's Word has things to say about marriage. God's Word has things to say about childhood. God's Word has things to say about government and All of these things are our God's perspectives and then we have our experiences then we have our emotions then we have our feelings and we are tempted to allow our emotions and our feelings to drive our thinking we are tempted to allow our our physical perception of needs and, and our understanding of the world around us as we feel it and as we perceive it to drive us and the Bible says don't let that be number one but it rather in all your ways acknowledge him acknowledge God's thinking acknowledge God's design acknowledge God's will and as you do so he will direct your path so the idea is this if the word speaks to something believe it implicitly the word speaks to how a person gets to heaven Set your feelings aside and believe it implicitly. The word speaks to the blessings that come from giving. So set all of the considerations aside and believe it implicitly. The word speaks to the blessings of purity of heart and of mind. So set all of your feelings aside and believe it implicitly. The word speaks to the dangers and evils of, of anger and, ha- and, and the importance of forgiveness. So set all of your feelings aside and believe it implicitly. Acknowledge the Lord in your choices. And they are all choices, folks. They are all choices. Well, I don't have a choice. Yes, you do. And the choices you make are going to forge a path. Forge a path for you. Most likely, David's brother Eliab was not a bad man. He was not an evil man. He was probably not even a faithless man. And yet, he, like the rest of Israel was struggling with acknowledging God as it related to Goliath. Goliath was something that they just could not get over. Their senses could not get over. Their mind could not get over. They couldn't get over that hurdle as it related to him. And David saw Goliath and said, How is that any different from any other element of God's promise? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. We are the nation of promise. Let's go get him. Now, there are things that God's Word doesn't speak to. God's Word is not going to tell me whether or not I should buy that house or buy that car. God's Word is not going to uh, explicitly tell me how much I should give to this cause or or to to that need. God's Word is not going to tell me all of these things. It's going to encourage me to redeem the time. It's going to encourage me to give uh, with, with generosity and cheerfulness. It's going to encourage me in these things, but... The nitty-gritty, God's Word isn't going to, I'm not going to be able to open my Bible and find out what I should be doing at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And so we take what the principles that God's Word has given to us, and then the things that God hasn't speak, spoken to directly, we use the giftings that God has given us to apply those principles and then to live in a rational way. So first we take what God's Word has said and we believe it implicitly. And then we take, next, the guidance of the Spirit of God. The promptings of the Spirit of God and we follow them as we learn to listen and then finally God has given us a mind God has given us reason God has given us the the senses in order to to still be functional and so we live by our senses and we use our emotions and we use our reason to see us through in those areas where God is not explicitly said go or stay And this principle is essential for success in life. God's Word has given us so much to help us in any number of ways. 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18. In times of affliction, in times of sorrow, in times of weariness, Paul writes, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet, our inward, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you see Paul's uh, exhortation? He's suffering in body. He is suffering persecution and sorrow for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is dealing with, and not just he, but the apostles and many of these churches are dealing with tremendous suffering, loss of life, uh, loss of livelihood, loss of family, loss of, uh, of um, relationships because of their devotion to Christ. The government coming against them. Individual families coming against them. Entire communities turning against them. Paul says, but this is light affliction that is but for a moment. And it's working in me something far more eternal in weight and in glory in the life that is to come. And so I endure it. Because I'm not looking at what is seen, but I'm looking at what is not seen. I'm not looking at the temporal. I'm looking at the eternal. I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not leaning into my own understanding. I'm not allowing the physical feelings and the physical senses and the physical problems, the the things that are physical in this life, to override what I know about the realities and the promises that God has given us in His Word. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths." What about Philippians chapter 4? Feelings of anxiety, feelings of fear, feelings of the unknown, feelings that things are out of control. Looking around and seeing fear and seeing confusion and seeing these things, and yet what does Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 tell me? Be careful, that word anxious, full of cares, right? Be full of cares, be careful for nothing. Be full of cares for nothing, don't be full of cares. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I take my cares, I take my anxieties, I take the unknowns and I lay them at the, at the Lord's feet and I say, God, this is your field, this is your area of expertise, this is, this is your problem. I'm going to trust you. What are you doing there? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will give you the peace of God, which passes all understanding, by which you'll be able to do what you need to do. He will direct you in the way that you should go. You don't have to worry. Worrying's never helped anything. Worrying's never solved any problem. Worry has never gotten anything done faster or better. So you trust in the Lord careful for nothing. What do we do when we're among evil? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. We recognize that we're not fighting a battle on a physical plane. We're in a very unique time right now. Many of you have talked with me and we we talked even before this, this uh, stay-at-home order about how there seems to be a very spiritual element to this whole thing going on. This outbreak, uh, that it, it is very possible, any number of things are possible, but it's very possible that this is moving the ball forward as it, as it relates to end times uh, elements. It's very possible that this is moving the ball forward as it relates to a globalization, as it relates to um, the strong delusion that will come upon this world. This whole thing uh, bears a, a a mark of delusion in senses about it. A a Uh, irrationality to some of the things that are going on right now Uh, certainly an element of tyranny that's going on in in this uh, petty tyrants trying to to throw their weight around using this crisis and such and yet we're reminded that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood our enemy is not flesh and blood but principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world that we fight these battles on a spiritual plane not a physical plane we, we're not going to feel that that's not what our senses are going to tell us our senses are going to want to put a face in a name with enemies with dangers and yet our battle is in the heavenlies. What about personal things? The things that you're feeling inside. The sorrow the despair, the confusion. What about those elements? Nobody understands, nobody can know the darkness. Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? The confusion. What does Psalm 139 say? Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my paths, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell low, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance being yet imperfect. By the way, I don't know if all those verses are in order. Psalm 139 reminds us that God knows us. You're not a mistake. The way God made you is not a mistake. Your appearance is not a mistake. Your capacities or lack thereof, not a mistake. The family God put you in, not a mistake. God knows. Can you trust Him? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Can you trust that God knows? And if God knows, then God did not make a mistake, that God it, it did not do this on accident, that God understood the situation that you'd be in, and He wants you to trust Him, and He's given you the means by which to do exactly what His will would have of you in the circumstance that you find yourself, because He knows you. And so we end in Psalm 139, 34, uh, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, there are these unchangeables, these things that have happened to me that I have no control over, but you know, and I'm going to trust you with those things. And then I'm going to do my part, which is to ask you to search me, to try me, to understand me, and then to show me how to understand myself better so that I can go in the way that you would have me to go within the context of the circumstances that you have put me in. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, as Peter spoke on false teaching, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. A couple weeks ago in our, our sermon evening sermon, we spoke in First Thessalonians about the fact that though the Lord will come as a thief as a night, Paul said, you are not as those that that are in darkness, that that, that day should overtake you as a thief. So, it's not going to take overtake us as a thief. It's going to overtake the world as a thief in the night. In other words, completely unexpected. That's not us. It's not unexpected with us. But what do we remember? As we consider everything that's happening today, as the hearts of, of believers around the world are becoming less and less comfortable, more and more unsettled about the way in which this whole thing has played out, Remember that God is in control. Remember that God knows. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. There's so much that you and I don't know. There's so much that you and I don't know about things that are happening in the world. There's so much that you and I don't know about things that have happened before. There's so much that you and I don't even know about ourselves. But God does. And so we do it God's way. So we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. We don't lean into our own understanding. We acknowledge Him in all of our ways. And then trust, because His Word has said it, that He will guide our paths, direct our paths. And remember, when David stood before Goliath, he'd had precedent, hadn't he? He'd gone before the lion, he'd gone before the bear. He says, God has done this before. I don't know that there's anyone under the sound of my voice today that's not seen this. Maybe there are some who aren't as familiar with the Lord and His workings. For most of you, you know, you know the God of the Bible. You've seen Him work and yet maybe there's some area of your life where, yeah, you know, like Eliab, Yeah, you know, God is good for this, God is good for that. I've seen God work here, I've seen God work there, I've seen God provide, but now there's a Goliath standing before me, and you've hit the limit of your trust. What about David? See, David said, but I've seen it. I've seen it with the lion, I've seen it with the bear, I've seen it in all the ways the lion has. But how is that any different than today? How is today any different? How is the circumstance that you are facing today? How is that trial that you are facing today, how are those feelings that you're struggling with today, how is any of that which you're struggling with today any different than the faithfulness that God has shown again and again and again and again and again in the past, both in you and in those of our body who who can testify of these things? And so the call is to trust. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Commit yourself wholly to God's word. Trust the word of God implicitly. Don't lean into your own understandings. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and know that he will direct your path.